0: don't ever forget that your goal for them is to have a healthy, loving relationship when they're older. And this is one of the things as a parent that you need to do right now to get them there.
1: Welcome to Sex, Body, and Soul. I'm Kate Roberts, founder of The Body Agency. And on this show, we talk about the marvel that is our bodies, what they can do and what they need to thrive. Ladies out there, our time is now. Let's get to it. I am thrilled to welcome onto the show Dr. Cara Natterson. Dr. Kara is a certified pediatrician. She practiced for years, then found herself in a situation where she felt that sex ed and communicating with your children about all things body related was pretty non-existent out there. So she became an author. We're going to be talking today specifically about Decoding Boys, which is the name of one of her books. We talk about feelings. We talk about guy stuff. We talk about masturbation, erections, testosterone mood changes and all good things related to bringing a son into the world and making sure that he's a good human. So I'm thrilled to welcome Cara onto the show. And as she would say, talk about bonus and wet dreams. Dr. Kara Natterson, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, I am very excited to have a chat with you because Decoding boys is something that is rarely spoken about. First of all, it's all about girls, 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 girls. And nobody seems to want to talk about boys. And I don't know why that is. And we're going to dig into that on this show. Now, you are a certified pediatrician. And you suddenly became a writer and an author of numerous books. The books that we're going to talk about today are all around the guy stuff and boy's feelings. And of course, your parenting book, Decoding Boys. Tell us a little bit, Cara, about your own journey briefly on, on how you got to become this very successful
0: author focused on decoding our children, basically. Sure. So when I was growing up, I grew up in Los Angeles and I really didn't know what I wanted to be. I just knew I didn't wanna live in Los Angeles ever. I am currently podcasting from my home in Los Angeles. So (laughs) that goes to show how well that turned out. I went to college and I was drawn towards the biological sciences a little bit in college. I ended up going to medical school. I said, oh, I'll just give it a try. Literally every year of medical Mm -hmm. school, I thought, oh, I'll stay one more year. And then I discovered the field of pediatrics which is really a no-brainer field for me. I mean, just taking care of kids and seeing their desire to be well and understand their bodies and their grit and resilience was a no-brainer. And I studied pediatrics. I did my residency training. I left my residency and got a job in the world of general pediatrics. And it was fantastic. I was in this huge group practice. That's when I moved back to LA. And it was wonderful. Mm -hmm. While I was there a number of things happened. One is that one of my partners wrote a book and he asked me to read his book, which I did before it went to the editor. And I thought, oh, well, if he could do this, I could Mm -hmm. do this. Literally, Mm -hmm. that was my thought. People always want me to talk about brain development. I always say, that's my best example of your brain not being fully developed because I thought I could be a writer without any training to -hmm. be a writer. Mm -hmm. And I went for it, which was my impulsive limbic system telling me what to do and... It's why impulse isn't always a bad thing. It turned out very well for me, but that happened. And then at the same time, I got married and I had two kids relatively quickly. And suddenly here I was, I was a pediatrician in practice. I was working 10, 11, 12 hour days by my choice. I didn't know how to do it differently, but I didn't know my own children, really didn't. I was outsourcing all of their care. Mm. And there was this one night where I was in the office very late And a mother came in and her child had about 104 and a half fever and she was hysterical Yeah, and she was sobbing. And I examined the baby and talked her down. And and at the end, she looked at me and she said, you are so lucky because when your child has 104, you don't freak out. And I'm not making this up. I started to sob in the office and I said, my child does have 104 right now and I'm here with you. Wow. And that was when I knew I needed to leave the way I was practicing medicine. It wasn't about leaving medicine, but it was a, I just couldn't find a balance. And so I took all of those threads and braided them together and I decided to be a writer. And I just, you know, it was a lot of luck and a lot of hard work. I ended up writing parenting books at first, and then I always say that I was at the right place at the right time at 10 o'clock at night on a Tuesday when I was giving a very informal parenting seminar and parents didn't want to leave and they kept wanting to ask more and more questions about their kids. And someone from Mattel, the toy company, happened to be there listening to what I was saying. And that resulted in an invitation to come to Mattel, which resulted in an invitation to go to American Girl, the Mm -hmm. doll company owned by Mattel, And at American Girl, they had a book called The Care and Keeping of You, which was a cult classic, originally published in 1998. And I pitched the idea of really blowing out the series. And that that was the beginning of my writing career. Mm.
1: Well, I really want to delve into the science of boys. (laughs) I actually didn't have a boy. I know you have a boy. I had a little girl and I, I was actually very thrilled about that because I immediately thought to myself, well, I can give her all my wisdom. I can tell her about my body and You know, it's we're gonna get on like a house on fire and everything's gonna be dandy. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it doesn't end up like that, does it? So I've never had boys, but I've observed all of my friends with their boys and constantly other mothers say to me, because they know now I have the body agency, what do you have for boys? I have two boys or three boys, and they're all at different ages and stages in their lives, and I am so confused. They don't know what to tell them. They don't know what they're thinking. Of course, we know they go into puberty and things go haywire. So let's start by asking you, I know you talk about everything to your boys and your books, especially Decoding Boys is a guide for parents. And then your other two books, Guy Stuff and Feelings are for boys to read. So we had a box to put, the boy's first puberty kit, what would we put in that box apart from your books? What
0: do they need? I love that question. You know why I love that question? And I'm gonna answer it. But first I wanna say why I love it. Because when we teach health education in schools, so often the parents of girls are very clear on what content their girls need. They need period information. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. need, you know, it's very... Biological, it's very tactile. The parents of boys say, What do they need? Do they need a little empathy training? Do they need a little, as if their bodies are not completely transforming at the same time as the girls? And there's such a disconnect for mm-hmm. parents of boys yeah. as to what their boys really need. So, what do boys really need? They need information. They need to know what's happening to themselves and why. They're very interested in the why, they need product. So, I'll give you a for instance, as boys enter baby puberty, oil, <laughs> well as boys as boys enter puberty, right? yeah, and we can talk in as much detail as you want about boy puberty, but I, I don't like to gender puberty. Puberty is just the process of the transformation of the body from being sexually immature to being able to reproduce. That's mm-hmm. it, okay. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with male female. The difference between physiologically male bodies and physiologically female bodies are the hormones that drive those processes and the organs in the body that are impacted. So in the physiologically male body, there's testosterone. It's made in the testicles. And testosterone then causes all the downstream effects of male puberty. And we can talk about them. But one of the very first things that happens is that boys have testicular growth because the testicles are the machinery where the Mm -hmm. testosterone is being made. So you got to grow the machinery. So testicles grow, their penis grows. Most parents have no clue this is happening. Most boys have no clue.
1: So at what age is typical for testosterone Mm. to kick in and the penis and the testicles growing?
0: Yeah, so um, this has changed dramatically. Just like female puberty has started increasingly early. So too has male puberty. And in this country, the average age, depending upon your ethnicity, is somewhere between nine and 10 which throws parents for a complete loop. They say, no way, not my son. And so here you are, and all this hormone is kicking in. And one of the things that happens for boys is that as a result of the surges, the peaks and valleys of the hormone, because hormones don't just rise in a steady state, they peak and then they trough, and then they peak and then they trough. As a result of this, boys get erections on average every 45 to 90 minutes throughout the day. So when you ask what would be in that kit I'd tell you I'd put a pair of underwear in that kit that would help your boys feel comfortable when they stand up at the front of the class.
1: Oh well I think we have to make that underwear because I don't
0: think it exists. <laughs> well and and this is the thing you know boys have this universal experience and when you start talking to them I have this podcast called the Puberty Podcast and our producers this amazing late 20-something guy named Brian. And we did a whole episode on erections and wet dreams. Boners and wet dreams is what we called it. And we invited Brian into the conversation and we said to him, help us, teach us. And he just sat with us and walked through what every person with a penis wants to know about managing erections. It was unbelievable. I love
1: it, oh, it was I love amazing. it, love it, love it. Okay, so in the kit, we're gonna put some underwear that helps a boy feel comfortable when they're yep. called to speak at the front of the class and they've got a boner because they're basically having one every 45 minutes.
0: 45 to 90, it depends on their cycle. And you know what else I'd put in the kit? I'd put a bar of soap in the kit. I'd put a bar of soap because all kids, so my kit is fairly gender neutral. All mm-hmm. kids need to know that when you enter puberty, one of the things that happens, and it do, it actually has nothing to do with testosterone. It has nothing to do with estrogen, which is the hormone that controls female puberty, but it has everything to do with what are called the adrenal androgens, which are hormones that are secreted from the adrenal glands. The adrenal glands sit on top of your kidneys, okay? Mm-hmm. But when the adrenal androgens kick in, they make you sweaty, smelly, and hairy, okay? And that tends to happen around the same time that your sex organs are maturing. So we think of getting sweaty, smelly, and hairy as being part of puberty because it happens coincidentally at the same time. And one thing that many parents don't know to say to their kids, they just don't know to say it, is when you bathe or shower, the water doesn't do it. You must use soap. It is the soap that gets the bacteria off your skin it's the bacteria that causes you to smell, because when you sweat more, the bacteria eats the protein in your sweat, and the byproduct is this odor that we call body odor. And so when kids understand that, they're thrilled. I love it.
1: I love it. Okay. So we're saying use that soap under the arms and in the groin area. Is that right? Please,
0: and on the feet.
1: Oh my god! Oh the feet. feet. Okay, so we're doing underarms, we're doing feet, and we're doing groin. I and love it. And everything in between. While you're at it, everything. Yeah, in yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And boys, yeah. of course, we know don't want to do that, right? That's why they stink. <laughs> it's not true. It's not true. Really? They, it's not that they don't want to. It's that they don't know no. to. No. Okay, I get it. I get yeah. it.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, so this is all happening around nine or ten. Now, at nine or ten, do we also start talking to boys about shaving? And
0: in that pit do we put a razor and shaving foam? So let's back up to the first half of that sentence. It's all happening around nine or 10. So for 50% of all boys, it's starting at nine or 10. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. this process takes years. So mm. most researchers would say that for the first year or two of puberty, you don't see anything. All that is visible is the growth of the testicles and the growth of the penis. And frankly, parents should not be witnessing that unless a kid is really comfortable walking around mm-hmm. and being a nudist, right? Mm-hmm. But if a child is private, which most kids are by this age, the parents have no clue. And it's the pediatrician who does a physical exam who's right. the only one who knows. The path through puberty, all the secondary effects of surging hormones last six, eight 10 years. And this is different from when we were growing up. When we were growing up, the process started later and it took half as long. And no one really understands the slowness of the speed right now, but mm-hmm. it takes six, eight, ten 10 years. So when you ask, should you put a razor in that kit? You can, mm-hmm. but the likelihood that a nine or 10 or 11 year old boy is gonna have a mustache or a beard that requires shaving is actually very low. Mm. So I think what you're saying, Kara, is we need different kits for
1: different ages. And let's be honest, you know, and we're going to talk about masturbation now. Probably that nine or ten year old has started to play with himself. And let's say penis owners, right? So <laughs> that's right. Uh, so humans assigned at birth with a penis, they're already starting to sort of feel sensations and play with themselves down there, and. Is there something going in the kit, which is your first puberty kit for boys, is something going in there about masturbation? Because everyone is embarrassed, right? Boys, I can't tell you how many men I've talked to who've said that the lasting horror memory of growing up is having their mother walk into the room whilst they were masturbating.
0: So again, I'm gonna ungender as often as I can. Yes, yes. Every kid. Needs information about masturbation. Yeah. Every single one. It needs to be destigmatized for boys and it mm-hmm. needs to be destigmatized for girls because it is a totally normal behavior. And yes, masturbation does tend to begin around the same time as puberty. Sometimes it's sooner than you see physical changes, and sometimes it's much, much later. And all of it is normal. When you become reproductively mature, when your body is getting ready to be able to reproduce, it makes very good sense that you would also become sexually curious. And you would also start to develop these really strong emotional and physical feelings around touch. So masturbation is a big piece of that. Mm.
1: And how do you go about even broaching the subject? Because I've even noticed with my 10-year-old daughter, you know, she's very free, you know, she's happy to be naked. And, you know, she'll just be touching herself. And, you know, I I say to her, okay, Lily, if you're going to do that, then I think you should go into your bedroom, do it privately. And it's very just normal because I've always talked about it. But not a lot of parents are like us and they don't have the tools. And the thought of talking to their kid about masturbation
0: is utter horror. So how do you do it? Well, what you described is the perfect first step into the conversation, which is... Mm -hmm hey, um, that's totally fine with me. Can you go into your bedroom and just shut the door? No biggie, but it's a private thing. Like no judgment, just very nonchalant. It's a great way into the conversation because for parents who are not quite comfortable with talking about what masturbation really is or what it might feel like for a kid, that's kind of a 30,000 foot view of it's A, fine, B, normal, C, expected, just please private. And in fact- I've taken care of kids who at age 3 and 4 mm. would mm. masturbate in the living room or in the kitchen, right? I mean, mm. masturbation does not start for all kids at puberty, it starts for many kids well before. And that it's a perfect sentence to say to those kids you, "Oh, okay, you can go, you can feel free to touch yourself, just please go into your mm. bedroom." And I presume
1: both with the clitoris on a girl and actually what's that area called on the boy? It's called the penis. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Okay, so the whole penis. I presume they're born with sensation in those areas, right? Like
0: it doesn't just appear during puberty. No, of course not. The concentration of nerves is unbelievable in that area. Wow. Yeah. More for boys than it is for girls? No. No no and in really? fact some people would argue and it depends what papers you read that the concentration of nerve endings in the clitoris is the greatest on the body some people say it's the tip of your index finger some people say it's your clitoris some people you know it's like everyone's got a theory and there's a study to prove everything which is, encapsulates medicine in general there's a study to prove everything but yeah i mean it's it's both organs the clitoris and the penis are incredibly neurosensitive. They just have a ton of nerve endings and they are mm. designed that way. I mean, if yeah, you think about what, what is their job, right? Mm. It's, it, yeah. that's, that's why it's, it's their only job. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's their only job. Okay. So now let's move on to the brain, the boy's brain, like what's going on in there at this time of the beginning of puberty, you know, all the way up into manhood.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about the girl brain for a second to contextualize mm-hmm. it. Yes. So the average girl enters puberty between 8 and 9. And when I say that, what I mean is her ovaries begin to produce estrogen and progesterone, estrogen being the hormone that drives most of the changes the most aggressively. There are lots of different hormones in the puberty process, but we're going to talk about estrogen in girls and testosterone in boys.
1: Can I ask a very quick question, Carl? Of, course. of like, course.
0: My daughter came home the other day
1: and her stepsister is one year older than my daughter. So my daughter's 10, her stepsister is 11. And my daughter came home and said, my sister has white stuff in her underwear. Mm. Does that mean she's in
0: puberty? And what is that white stuff? Okay, so so just as I described to you that the earliest signs of puberty in males is testicular and penile growth, which sometimes Mm -hmm. is the only change for the first couple of years. Likewise, The first sign of puberty in most girls is ovarian maturation. Well, you don't see that. Your ovaries are tucked inside. So unless you have x-ray vision, you have no idea what that's gonna look like. And breast budding. Breast budding is when Mm -hmm. these little sort of hard capsular nubs pop up under one or both nipples. And oftentimes it's only one for a little while. It's incredibly tender and irritated and sensitive, and that's the very beginning of breast tissue starting to develop. Why does that happen in the beginning of female puberty? Because estrogen is circulating all over the body, and when it circulates all over the body, the tissues that are most sensitive to estrogen will start to grow and develop, and the breast tissue is probably among the most sensitive to estrogen. The point I really want to make, though, is that your hormones, whether it's testosterone or estrogen, circulate above the neck as well as below the neck. There's nothing about your brain that is insulated from the hormones. And so one of the other very early signs of puberty in both boys and girls is mood changes, okay? Mm -hmm. And we're gonna put a pin in this. I'm gonna answer your discharge question. We're gonna come back to what are those mood changes. But testosterone in the brain has different effects than estrogen in the brain. So one of the things that you may have noticed in your home with a 10-year-old and an 11-year-old, both with only X chromosomes and a lot of estrogen starting to circulate, is a mood swing that is very outward. Most females, not all, will become chattier, more giggly, but also more tearful, just more reactive. They the pendulum swings in a way that is very noticeable. And that is something classic. It's a moodiness that every single girl who is 10 or 11 will recognize in herself and frankly when you ask, "Hey, how do you how does it feel? Do you like how it feels?" they will say no. They do not like how it feels. Okay? Because it feels out of control.
1: Yeah. You see, I'm noticing that that is absolutely happening with my 10-year-old. But she's still kind of, she's still, she goes back and forth, as you say. She still wants to be my little baby. Of course. And then, and then on the other hand, she's, you know, desperate for her independence and wearing makeup and being girly. And, but then it's like, oh no, I, I you know, I want you to be next to me. Um, yeah. So she's which, fighting it. You can which see is she's going, fighting that, it. And
0: that's going to last for a long time. And mm-hmm. another thank estrogen God. effect, thank God. Another estrogen yeah. <laughs> effect is that it increases what's called vaginal discharge. So the vagina is mm-hmm. not the external genitalia. Those are actually the labia, the lips. Yeah. The vagina is a hollow tube inside the body mm-hmm. that is actually made from a muscle. And that muscle has these glands that secrete discharge, what we call discharge, so that it can be self-cleaning. And mm. that discharge is the clearish, whitest stuff that girls will see in their underpants. And as they progress through puberty, the discharge first comes maybe once a week or every couple of weeks, and then increases in frequency, and then it becomes daily. And once it's been daily for several months... That's sometimes a flag. Hey, we've got to make sure we've had the conversation about getting a period because yeah. a period can come soon with that. So that's to answer Ooh, your that's discharge That's
1: really questions. good information. And of course, as we go into womanhood, we get that discharge all the time. And it's normal, right? It's completely cleaning normal. <laughs> yeah. But nobody talks about no. it, Kara. Nobody talks and, about it. And you go through your life as a woman ashamed of that. No, that's when right. When it's absolutely normal, but we're so
0: horrified to bring it up to our parents or that's our friends right. because it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It feels dirty. It feels wrong. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's the discharge piece. Now I want to mm-hmm. I wanna circle all the way back to your original question, which is what the heck is happening with the moods. And mm. you know, estrogen, while in many brains causes these swings towards outward emotional expression, positive or negative. Testosterone does something really different. So testosterone Mm -hmm. is well known to cause rage, and it does. There are lots of studies that document it. But the other thing that I am convinced testosterone does, no studies to document this, but uh, if there's anyone listening, please do the study. I really believe that testosterone is the hormone responsible for going quiet. Because one of the phenomena that every single parent of a biological male who has testosterone circulating at high levels through their body, those parents will say, my child went through a stage where he got quiet. Maybe he didn't get silent, maybe he got quieter, but Mm. most parents will say, oh, it's silence. It's a grunt, it's a groan, it's a single syllable, and it's that way for years. And by the way, it's only that way with you. It's not that way with his friends, Yeah, right? It's not that way in a social setting, but it is that way with parents. And it is normal. It is normal. And I am convinced, especially after writing Decoding Boys, which was all about the journey of raising a boy who went quiet and having a husband who said, well, I was quiet for many years. And look at me, I'm expressive now and don't pathologize it. What's the deal? You know, What's wrong with this? Mm -hmm. Well, what's wrong with it to me is that we live in a world where language protects you. So we raise our girls to find their voice and to find Mm. language so that they can call out what's not okay. Why is it? all right, not to raise our boys that way. And what happens to our boys if we don't give them language and we don't give them the ability to consent effectively, to Mm. share their feelings effectively? Well, we put them at a tremendous disadvantage. And so it's not that I mean to pathologize what testosterone is doing to your brain. I do think it's very normal. But if in 2021, issues like consent are life-changing issues, Mm. then we better Mm. find a way to help our boys who are managing testosterone surges find language.
1: Well, you know, it gets back to what you were saying with boys and the multiple erections between 45 and 90 minutes intervals. I mean, I strongly believe, and I'm sure you feel the same way, that parents are absolutely responsible for bringing good men into the world. And that comes through communication. Right. We've got to be able to communicate because our children will listen to us. Even though they are pretending not to listen, it's all going in. I remember everything my parents told me. And, uh, you know, I hope that I'm doing them proud now. But I absolutely do remember everything. And when you talk about consent with all this testosterone and all of this raging erections, and then, of course, access to porn, uh, which is what we're going to talk about next— what do we do? Because they almost can't help it, right? Because their bodies are being wired to want to have sex. Talk to me about that, because, yeah. and, and you know, I actually don't even know this. Is the legal age of sexual
0: activity 16 or 18 in the States? Oh, it's that's a, that's a very confusing question, because it goes state by state. My general understanding of the legality of sex is that in most places it's legal to have sex except for if one person is over 18 and one person is under 18, which is a very, very mixed messaged law, right? And by the way, why, why we're legislating when it's legal to have sex or how it's legal to have sex is sort of bananas to me.
1: And there's this sort of cultural thing in America that you have sex on the night of your prom,
0: right? And isn't that 16 well, I, I would push back on that and say that's one sort of moment. There, there are lots of moments that um, mm. that people feel it's a, it's a it's sort of an excuse or a a slam dunk for what's going to happen. But I think all of that has changed over the last five years, especially because of pandemic, especially because of um, mm. digital communication, especially because of porn. I mean, it's all it's all changed. The porn question you ask is really important for parents who are worried about porn exposure. I'm gonna push on removing the gendering from porn as hard as I can. Boys are watching Mm. porn, girls are watching porn. Non-binary kids are watching porn. Porn is there for everyone. And there is a mass of online free porn that is being targeted directly at your kids, regardless of their gender and regardless of their sexual identity. The pornographers recognize that because teenagers have access to devices, love to be on them, and have very active, impulsive brains, but much slower, rational, consequential brains, they can bring in a lifelong audience. If they can grab these kids as teenagers and they can help rewire their brains to crave porn and porn results in a dopamine hit. You feel good when you watch porn, by and large. And if your brain gets a dopamine hit, it becomes a reinforcing cycle and you wanna go back and you wanna go back and you wanna go back. Now the pornographers have you and at first it's free and then it's paid and then you know that story writes itself. So for parents of girls, you are not insulated from the impact of porn. It's just that boys tend to see it earlier, seek it out earlier, share it with friends earlier, so the average age for porn viewing in this country for males is somewhere between 11 and 12. Somewhere between 11 and 12, half of all boys in this country have witnessed porn. And wow. the free porn, it's not romanticized. It's not no. it, it is not benign. It is generally speaking violent, aggressive, mm-hmm. The opposite yep. of the sex you want your kids to have one day, that's what they're seeing. That's their sex ed. And so if you're gun shy about having conversations about sex with your kids, all you need to realize is that for boys, about half of them, by the time they finish fifth grade, have seen porn, get in there and have the conversation with them before if you can. And if you haven't, get in there and have the conversation with them now, it's a hundred conversations. It's not one conversation. And every time you feel embarrassed or horrified because you don't know how to manage it, two rules of thumb. One is don't look them in the eye. Have the conversation in the car, on a walk, when you turn Mm -hmm. off the lights at night, Mm -hmm. but not when you're looking at each other in the eye. And number two is don't ever forget that your goal for them is to have a healthy, loving relationship Mm -hmm. when they're older. And this is one of the things as a parent that you need to do right now to get them there. So
1: three things. You're in the car, you're driving them to school, God forbid, and you decide you're going to talk about porn. What would you say? Three things. I mean, how do you even bring it up, Kara? I mean, it's so hard. Like, yeah. you know, essentially, I should probably be talking to my daughter about it now, right? She's a tween and, you know, is constantly on her yeah. tablet. What
0: do I say to her and how do I say it? So usually when you have an aha moment, when you realize you should be talking about it, something has prompted you. You heard lyrics in a song that was playing on the radio. You saw a bus drive by with a completely pornographic ad on the side, right? There's something that prompted you. Grab that teachable moment. Let your kid in the door the same way you got in that door. I'm listening to this song with you I, I cannot believe the story that's being told in this song can we I want to talk about it for a second. Are you listening to these words? you know, or oh my God, did you see that picture on that bus that just drove by? did you what do you think of that because I'm looking at that and I'm looking at, you know, three people who are basically naked who look like they're having sex on the side of a bus. Isn't that crazy? Let's talk about what that means. And, right, let your child in the way you got in because they're living in the same world that you're living in. Grab the teachable moment. That's number one. So
1: I love that, number one. I love that. You know, with my daughter, we obviously have so many conversations, right? I chase her around the house with the the vulva puppet, right? So she knows what I do and... You know, she rolls her eyes at me. I mean, I simply want to say to her, do you know what porn is? And see what her understanding of it is. First of all, I mean, I've been going through this in my head. Like, (laughs) I have got to have the conversation. And this is so hard because... At the same time, I don't want her to go, no, I've no idea. Well, well you know, can I look, well, right. what is it? How do I find it? <laughs> it's okay. you know, and then i would be like, okay, too soon, too soon. Yeah.
0: No, 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 no. <laughs> you're you're right on. <laughs> I mean, every parent's can have a different way of asking the question, but that's a beautiful way into the conversation. Yeah. I think it's a great way. Yeah. Never ask a question you're not prepared to answer yourself. That's a one good rule of thumb for parents. Yep, um, love that. And another is, remember that as we parent, If we're going to have hundreds of conversations about something, we're going to get some number of them wrong. We're going to go in with Mm -hmm. best intentions, and we're going to completely screw up the conversation. Fine. Mm. Take the do-over. Say to your child, oh, this one went in a direction I was not anticipating. I did not Mm -hmm. mean it to go here. Or I got that last sentence so wrong. This is what I meant to say. Or two Mm -hmm. days later, I can't stop thinking about this conversation we had I think I said something that was incorrect. I want to correct myself. Mm. So much of parenting is giving ourselves permission to try something out, get it wrong, and try it again. And when we do that, we model for our kids that they're sometimes going to bring up things with us in a way that they don't communicate as effectively as they need to. And when they do that, they can take a do-over as well. Mm.
1: So, you know, my mind... I would ask that question, do you know what porn is? And maybe she will say, well, it's when people have sex uh, and video themselves. Maybe she will say that. I don't know. What do you then say about the reality of it? As in what's real and what's not? Because as you say, it's one click away. You know that your teenage son is watching porn and probably your teenage daughter, right? Do you say it's not reality this is what you need to know about having a normal sexual experience. Like, Let's let's take boys for a second. What do we say to our boys who we know is huddled away in his bedroom doing his thing?
0: The two most important things to say at the top of the conversation are you didn't do anything wrong. I'm not mad at you. You didn't do anything wrong by watching it because you're right, Kate, the pornographers find our kids. It's They make it yeah. really hard for our kids to say no. And the other thing is, You need to say, I am not judging anyone. I'm not judging you. I'm not judging the people who are in this video. There's no judgment here, Mm. okay? Those two Mm. things at the top of every conversation about porn. He's not in trouble and there's no judgment. And Mm -hmm. that includes there's no judgment of the kid who introduced your kid to porn, right? There's no, And you Mm -hmm. have to let go of the judgment. We all do, which is really hard to do. Once you get into the conversation, I think the conversation really looks and sounds something like this. I have been listening to people talk, experts talk about porn, or I've been reading books on porn, or I've seen these articles on porn. And the thing that makes me worried is that it's modeling sex that I just don't want you to think is the sex that you can or should have. That when it's violent, aggressive, rape fantasies playing out, when it's, multiple people having sex and one of them is not consenting mm-hmm. when there's force or brutality. I just wanna help you check that at the door and understand that's not the sex that you can or should have. That sex is not okay. But there are lots mm-hmm. of incredible types of sex and I'm gonna talk to you a lot about it and they are gonna yeah. then kick you out of their room and shut the door and that's fine. <laughs> then the conversation yeah. can end there.
1: Well, you know, on the show, I actually already had a number of porn experts on the show and you know have I think this is so vital that we have the tools and the words to be able to communicate with our kids and also the fact that our kids should be able to communicate with us about it so I think this has been really really helpful there is one million more questions I want to talk to you about sadly we are out of time if you can believe it, it hasn't that
0: flown by <laughs> It has flown by
1: you know the the next show that we do with you we want to talk more general about boys and girls and non-binary and you know how to approach subjects like drugs and alcohol and sexual identification and how you identify. I would highly encourage our audience to go to thebodyagency.com and look for these brilliant books that Kara has written. I certainly cannot wait to read them. I've just ordered them. And then I look forward to having you back on the show, Cara, because (sighs) good Lord, it is hard to bring children into this world. And we all want to bring good humans. And you are certainly a gift as a mother and as, as an author, helping us to decode our children. So thank you very much. And I look forward to welcoming you back. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Sex, Body, and Soul. Remember, you can find all of my favorite products and resources to support your health and sexual wellness through my one-stop shop, The Body Agency. Be sure to sign up for our email list at thebodyagency.com for the latest curated recommendations from our industry experts and use our special promotion code to get a 10% discount, PODCAST10. Thanks for listening.